Welcome to a special New Year's edition of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everyone. Well, I thought we would take today's special show and just go over some of our thoughts, reflections, wishes, regrets. 2022 was a momentous year. Uh, 2023 threatens uh, to be even more so. So uh, I thought it'd be fun just to go over and talk about the years, you know, winners and losers and all that. But maybe I'll start with you, Carrie. What are just your general reflections on the year? And obviously, um, you know, you're you're more of the MAGA Republican than I am. So things probably were a little more disappointing towards the end of the year. But what are your reflections? What do you see as, uh, say, the GOP's successes in 2022? Yeah, no, I mean, I, like like every year, every year has highs and every year has lows. I think for our country and for the world, uh, a big low obviously was the invasion of Ukraine. Um, and I know we've debated the setup and, and how Putin felt emboldened by actions that Biden took, in my opinion. Um, but that obviously from a human rights standpoint, the tragedy and the loss of human life, that was that's a huge low. Um, I do think that the bravery of the Ukrainian people, um, that was a big high uh, as far as, you know, just being able to to, to kick them out um, and, and recover their borders to, to a large extent. But I, I think domestically, um, for me, a big high was the Dobbs decision uh, by the Supreme Court that overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, from a human rights standpoint, um, I was so excited um, because I believe that uh, we're going to see a lot of innocent lives that are going to be saved from this. And a culture of life, uh, I think, was uh, emboldened by that. And and I, I think the conversation about uh, just, you know, the Joe Biden of old, old school Joe Biden, when he was younger in his Senate career, he said that an abortion is a tragedy. And and Democrats used to say that abortion should be safe, legal and rare. And now Democrats have gone so far to the point where it is not safe, legal and rare. It is very common and it is unsafe. And um, so, yeah, I I just think the new frontier of uh, allowing for a culture of life to grow. That was a big high for me. Um, obviously, well, do you get, I mean, on, even, even Mark Thiessen of the Washington Post, who's a pretty reliable conservative writer, gives Joe Biden credit for the way that he handled Ukraine, the way that he's given Zelensky pretty much what he wants. You know, a lot of the right wing media, media, as you know, are going after Zelensky and are defending Putin, which I still don't quite understand. But that's perhaps a conversation for another day. But do you also uh, at least share with uh, in the sentiment of a lot of conservatives and give Biden credit for handling it well in terms of helping Ukraine? Well, I think it I think it was a bipartisan thing, that's for sure. And and yeah, I, I think I think what 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 upsets me, and I've said this over bipartisan? and over, is that it's like giving credit. No, the 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 support for the Ukrainian aid was bipartisan. You had a few Republic and, and when because you're talking about a very few Republicans and you're giving them a lot more power than is actually true in real. No, I'm talking um, about Republicans the, now that um, are talking about cutting back aid. And saying that maybe this wasn't such a wise idea. I'm talking about Tucker Carlson on TV going at, going after Zelensky and 
um, you know, Donald Trump saying that uh, Putin was brilliant to invade Ukraine. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about re <laughs> Republican, to put it mildly, hesitancy on support for Ukraine. Well, I, yeah, I, I don't agree with everything Tucker Carlson says, especially on this issue. Um, I think uh, the question of accountability for the weapons and the, the money, that's that's legitimate. And, and then also the fact that you had 2 million illegal immigrants enter U.S. borders and, and you didn't hear a peep. And, and I think 20, looking to 2023, I think we probably will see Homeland Security's secretary impeached because he's been recklessly incompetent. Um, and for, forget about Obama. I know you like to bring him up. <laughs> and Trump. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about 2022 and 2023. Um, the Biden administration has been reckless on our own border. And I think that that's a big dichotomy that a lot of conservatives see, that, that it seems like Joe Biden is a lot more concerned about Ukraine's border than he is about the United States border and the prioritization. That that I think that is the ethos for a lot of people. I And I think for me, as far as Joe Biden is concerned, I've said this before. I, you saw how Putin Putin watched what Joe Biden did in Afghanistan. He's even said it. Joe and Biden what was Trump weak, did in, in Afghanistan he was, when he negotiated a surrender and let five thousand of the most heinous criminals out of jail—is that what you're talking about? Donald Trump could have left Afghanistan at any point over four years, and he did not. And he knew he actually followed the advice of his military leaders, whereas Joe Biden did not. So, so that sort of recklessness and impulsiveness and weakness by the part of Biden incentivized a bully like Joe, like uh, Putin. And uh, and then the fact that the disastrous energy policy of Germany and Europe and the United States gave so much monetary power and leverage um, to Putin, that, again, is another hypocrisy. That you, when you line the pockets of of a man like Putin, you're just enriching him and allowing him and emboldening him to do this because he knows he can squeeze he can squeeze. Well, you. first of all, the pocket his pockets weren't lying. We were very successful, and we froze hundreds of billions of dollars of assets of his. So he's a lot poorer than when this uh, war started. Now, granted. He's still been selling oil to countries like China and India. That's after that, the fact. That's after that, the fact. That is true, but I think you're 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 trying to conflate two separate issues. But I but I but I just want to go back to something else you said about the whole Dobbs decision. And you know, I know that, and I'm someone who's pro-choice with limits because again, you view it, I view it not as a religious thing. I view it as there's a certain point when a fetus becomes viable. And that I, uh, I, I know we disagree on this, but my point is what Dobbs in this country, we have a history of expanding rights, not taking them away. And I think that a lot of pro-lifers and I've I know you've gotten pretty rabid about this or talk about all these babies being murdered and all this. I think it would really help your cause if you would acknowledge and say, you know what, I understand this was a right that you had for 50 years in your minds, in our minds. This is something that's always been wrong. So what we want to do is we, we want to help you. We're going to work with state legislatures because the states that have the stiffest anti-abortion laws are also typically the states that offer the worst infant nutrition programs and the worst child support programs for, for these what are essentially forced births. So I really think that a little acknowledgement from your side that, hey, I understand how how this is a blow. 
but let's work together. And it's also unfair to say that that uh, uh, that the left is pro-abortion. This has been a, a, a media spin of this abortion till birth. The only difference is doctors should make the decision. Congress should legislate medicine, just like they shouldn't have passed the so-called partial ban abortion ban or partial birth abortion ban, which is a misnomer anyway. But the point is, it's the doctor that makes the decision. So sometimes, an, you know, an end of pregnancy abortion is an incredibly traumatic thing. I don't know anyone who's pro-abortion. That is a myth that's been invented on the right. So I just want to clarify those points. Yeah, well, I, I think it's interesting. You said um, you said a phrase that uh, really shocks me, actually. You said these are forced births. And I, I just think when you look at however well, long our human species what, When you ban abortion, you're forcing the, people to have babies. Um, the concept of forced birth is it is so anathema to human evolution is to procreate. Can you see how people feel that way? Birth. I'm, I, I'm so anti-human. I know what your view is. No, I'm just saying, saying, I'm just saying. No, no, I, I, I'm just trying to put in perspective when you're talking about, oh, you had a right that you didn't have before. In the long arc of human evolution, Pro-abortion is tiny. There's only been like, so look at it from that vantage point of that's the human not, species is meant like. That's like telling people that crime it is was so, so much worse in New York City back in 1978 than it is right now. People don't care about the arc of time. They don't care about a hundred years ago. They care about right now. And all they know is that a, a, what in their mind, with many of these women, a fundamental right that was taken away from them. So all I'm saying is I think it would help your cause if you would show a little a, a, a little empathy and say, hey, we personally disagree on this issue, but I can understand how you feel about this. And I'm not seeing that at all from your side. And I think, again, it's really hurting. It's really hurting your case. And the voters, by the way, you paid for it at the election, at the polls. One of the main reasons that the midterms went so badly for Republicans is three times as many Republicans voted for Democrats as Democrats voted for Republicans. Obviously, independents went way for Democrats. And single unmarried women, off the charts for Democrats. That's largely due to Dobbs. So you could, you could mitigate that by just trying to show a little empathy. I mean, can you see where I'm coming on that? You don't have to compromise your views. Yeah, I, look, I, I do agree that the right needs to embrace the mother and the child, that the right shouldn't just be focused on the life of one person in this equation. Maybe, to say remember there, there are two lives here in this comment, And I think for conservatives, life begins at conception and ends at birth. <laughs> they care about babies until they're born, which I have to say there there is good proof of that. If you That's look at the... True. Conservative states compared to to blue states and the support that they give, infant nutrition, child support, you name it. Texas, particularly, which has one of the most draconian laws, has one of the most uh, feeble support systems of any state. Well, I, I think you're always looking at the government policies, but when you look at the actual people, conservative people and conservative organizations, pro-life organizations, and yes, a lot of them are churches. 
you want to make this a religious thing. I think it's just a human rights ethical thing. But when it comes to adoption, when it comes to prenatal care, diapers, all of, all of the, the crisis pregnancy centers, there is a five to one ratio of crisis pregnancy centers to abortion centers in America. So I don't even think you understand this. And these are private nonprofit doesn't have anything to do with government. So you're talking, and a lot of them are secular, or they're not, they're not even religiously based. They're just, they're just nonprofits that tend to be staffed by conservative people. And you don't even, you're not even aware of them. But people like Elizabeth Warren wants to shut them down because she wants to have the babies killed instead of to have these crisis pregnancy centers continue. If I would encourage you next time I, you're in DC, I, you we know, can go I, visit. I don't the, know what, I don't know what you're talking center. about, but, but all I, all I, all I can say is that when you look at I, exactly, states, you don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm helping you fill the knowledge gap of crisis pregnancy centers, which are not government so run. Many more in fact, women a lot of them turn down government states that don't have that support. These places that you talk about, they're not doing their jobs. I don't care how many of them there are, if you say. But the bottom line is, women are most underserved for infant support programs in states that have the most draconian abortion laws. And that is a fact. And these centers that you talk about, well, maybe they exist, but they're not making up much of the gap. That's for sure. Well, uh, I think we should, we could have a whole program about crisis pregnancy centers um, because they are Again, privately funded and and they're funded largely by conservatives and people who adopt, who take the baby after the baby's born and adopt, they are far more likely to be conservative. So it's just not true when you say that conservatives are not pro-life after birth. It's just not, the facts don't bear that out. Talk is cheap, but the money isn't there. So I guess we'll we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. But the one thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, one of my main things has all, one of my main points has always been that the Republican Party recently, particularly under Donald Trump in the last couple of years, doesn't really stand for anything. Remember, they didn't, it was the first major party not to have a platform in 2020. And um, now you have this ridiculous speaker thing going on that hasn't happened for 100 years where Kevin McCarthy is so weak that nobody likes him or nobody, he's, but what was the old joke? He's not feared respected, trusted, or liked. But other than that, he's great. <laughs> and so I guess the, the question is, what's the end game here? Because I, you know, maybe I'm missing something and maybe I'm just not savvy enough to pick this up, but I'm no fan of Kevin McCarthy. We've talked about him on the show before. I don't need to get in, in, in you know, repeat what I've already said. You know how, you know how I feel about him, but, but who's it going to be? Jim Jordan, you know, Andy Biggs. What's what's the end game here? What's the plan? Some people said they wanted to bring in Donald Trump (laughs) (laughs) because technically you don't have to be a House member. That is true. Byron Donalds is a congressman from Florida and he's been nominated and he voted for himself and he's got, I think, 20 votes or something, but it could turn out to be him. I've met him. I've interviewed him. Fantastic! The, I actually like game? him a lot. That would be sort of the. But what's the? What's yeah, the look, Dave, I'm with again, you. I'm, I'm, I'm asking I'm, that as an honest question because I, you know, I love to yeah, post these things, I think, and I just can't figure it out. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's been very sloppy as far as what's happening with the speaker race. But I think 
the sentiment of why it's happening is there's just a lot of frustration by the base, uh, you know, the most conservative of the base who I don't speak for, but, uh, but just with people like Mitch McConnell, who are perceived as like the epitome of establishment, he, he, he voted for this omnibus bill that was just rammed through. And this it's, you have record inflation that is destroying 401ks. You had the average 401k lose $30,000 last year. That is significant for retirement. And if, if you're live, a senior living on fixed income, who, I mean, it's All between right. inflation well, I mean, the, and the, the stock. The, the, the market went up for a lot of years too, but I mean, that's that you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're getting, you're, saying- you're getting it. You're getting into, into specifics. I don't think the performance of the stock market is what drives these no, people. No, the market, about- the vicissitudes of the market are are part of life, but I'm still, and maybe there's no answer. I'm just trying to figure out what's the end game here? What is the Republican Party trying to do? Because, you know, as little as I think of Kevin McCarthy, just to see him be humiliated, year, you know, vote after vote in front of the world. And I'll tell you, whatever you think of Nancy Pelosi, and again, I'm not going to get win any great awards for trenchant analysis on, on when I make this point. But you will appreciate how good she was at what she did the next two years because she was a strong leader with the exact same margin that Kevin McCarthy has. And look what she got done. Again, you can agree or disagree with the policy, but look at, look at what she got done. And this is what's yeah. now passing for governance. I, you know, I, I don't know what to say. It's, it's just embarrassing. It's the, you know, the, the, the old cliche, the inmates have gotten control of the, of the asylum and we're all going to pay for it. We need, we have, there's no house of representatives right now. I agree with you as far as the nuts and bolts of Pelosi's effectiveness to do things that are harmful for the country. He, Whatever. she was very I mean, effective. We can say they're harmful. Totally some are good, some are bad, but she was yeah. effective at what she did. Yeah. No, but she, she was effective. I, I agree with you there. She ruled with an iron fist. She had the discipline. And that's something that the right doesn't have right now. Um, and, and I think, again, it goes back to not having his homework. He had a month to do his homework and he hasn't done anything. It's just I, I, I'm, I am truly flummoxed at, I, at this. This this is most pathetic display of attempted governance. I mean, this. You know, the fact that this hasn't happened in 100 years is almost the least bad part of it all. (laughs) Well, a friend of mine just sent me uh, a a note from the uh, Club for Growth about the the rules that apparently Kevin McCarthy refused to agree to. And one of them, it it said that his uh, congressional leadership fund should be prohibited from spending money or providing grants to any super PAC to oppose conservative members or conservative candidates in Republican primaries. He wouldn't even agree to that. So I think that's a failure on his part. He also refused to allow one of their conservative members to be part of the House leadership. I mean, he couldn't he couldn't figure yeah. out how to give well, take. It, it, I think it, that's it, what Pelosi was master at the concessions, you know, and Kevin McCarthy's not the master of concessions. So I, I would definitely give Pelosi props for that, her ability to get what she wanted and to and to have that discipline for sure. I, I think. I think though conservatives have been so upset by Repu- having an R next to your name has not translated into actually stopping anything meaningful in the Biden agenda and in the Senate in particular, 
and that's what I think is frustrating because it's you're talking about the House, not the Senate. So why would they continue to spin their wheels when it's ultimately not even? Yeah, you, if they have the discipline in the House, it's still going to keep moving forward. If you have somebody like Mitch McConnell, who's not going to stick to conservative principles. Well, and also, again, you know, let, let's face it, as we as we talked about on the previous show, you know, if you if you, you could have had uh, Senator Doug Ducey and Senator Doug McCormick and uh, Republican majority in the Senate, if it weren't for Donald Trump. Uh, and some of these clown candidates that he pushed through. So, you know, good good candidates matter. But, gosh, as always, great conversation. But I guess I would love to wind down the show just by hoping or saying what is, uh, what is a, your wish for 2020, uh, your greatest wish for 2023 and your greatest fear for 2023? Yeah, well, I... Why don't I start with the fear first and then on a positive note? <laughs> yeah, my, my greatest, well, I don't know. It's it's hard to say the greatest fear, but because, um, yeah, it's like, okay, uh, my greatest fear would be that COVID returns and China has like a nuclear or Armageddon or some sort of chemical warfare against us. I think China is the biggest geopolitical risk to the United States. So whatever risks they uh, continue to promulgate in 2023. That's the biz- biggest risk for me. That's my biggest fear. Um, but it's more sort of an amorphous, yeah, it's a general national security and um, uh, intelligence and, and and even what's happening with TikTok because TikTok is is very much, I believe, and I've you know spoken to people in the intelligence community, uh, including an NSA staffer, um, Who's looked oh, at it's, it's, it's the, the CCP the all the way. We totally agree on that. I have never had it on my phone, and I never will. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. Anyway, so what's so your I think the biggest hope? external. Yeah, I mean, my my greatest hope is that uh, yeah, I, I I think that the country uh, we can we can continue to recover from what happened with COVID and, and, and how polarized our country is. I think there's, that would be my hope that we can become less polarized as a country uh, and find, you know, we, we debate a lot here about abortion. Where are the bipartisan areas where we can agree? I would say an area would be prevention. Let's, let's talk about prevention instead of termination. You know, how can we find ways where we can come together and it's a win-win uh, and then we can lower the temperature of the country and to start to see each other as our fellow countrymen and really appreciate each other more. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that, that is a nice way, you know, and, and by the way, I agree with you uh, on China. I think, and I've said this many times before, I think I'm far more concerned about our having to manage China's decline than I am manage their rise. And if you look at everything that's going on now, I mean, their, their COVID the COVID uh, crisis they're going to have there is going to make New York City in April 2020 look like a day at the beach. It's going to be really bad. Plus, they've got all kinds of demographic and environmental problems. But um, I think the greatest challenge will be, can we get back to decent governing? And what really worries me is that in the House, the crazies have taken over. You know, you have uh, when, when Marjorie Taylor Greene is the one in the room is the adult in the room 
we ha- we have a real problem, and I just don't see how anything is going to get done. I think it's going to be a clown show, and I think it it's going to really hurt our ability to govern. On a positive note, and you know me, I am a glasses half full guy. I think that this year, because there was so much stuff with it and was going on, and you know you you heard this acknowledged in some of the end of the year. Uh, pieces in the newspapers, but the technological breakthroughs, both in terms of medicine and energy efficiency, battery technology, solar technology, there's a huge, huge increase in both of those. And I think our ability to fight chronic diseases and our ability to move on to an alternative grid. Now, you know, I've always been someone who's been a, a pragmatist. I believe that we should go full speed ahead with domestic energy production and full speed ahead with alternatives. Seems like we've always had to choose. And I don't know why, because I think we should have, we should go to the wire on both of them. But the solar technology has improved so much that we're at the point, I think we're only a few years away from being able to power with solar electricity, all these desalination plants around the world that will solve our water problem. So that's the one thing I don't worry about is running out of water because we've got plenty of it. We just need to find a way to very energy efficiently desalinate it. So that's my final message to, to our viewers is that there's a lot to be optimistic. And I think also in 2020, 2022, democracy won, all the election deniers lost. And even the Sean Hannity's of the world, when they were complaining about the election in Nevada taking so long, they did. They never said it was corrupt or fraudulent. They just said it was bad democracy that it took so long, which I agree. Florida can count their vote by the end of the day. Every state should be able to, to do that. But overall, I think we have a lot more to be grateful than we do to be worried about. And uh, so on that very positive note, we will end our first show of... 2023 and we just want to wish all of you the happiest of uh and most prosperous prosperous of years from all of us at practically political i'm dave spencer and i'm carrie sheffield happy new year we'll catch you next time